Nobody told me reading would be required. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> hey, to be here you're thinking, is that a third voice? By the way. Or do they just sound a little bit a little bit different? It is a third voice. Brian Koppelman. Brian, first off, congratulations on your new TV show, Billions, on Showtime. Well, thanks, James. So how does that work in the writer's room of a TV show, of a hit TV show? Is that our question of the day? This could be the I've question been, of the I've day. I've been told that we need to, that we're so cognitively sloppy. I'm just sloppy that we in never general. Get, that's, that's true. I think we're both a little sloppy. Sloppy across the board. But let's, let's say that, let's step back for, for 12 seconds and say we're very honored and happy to have Brian Koppelman as a guest co-host of Question of the Day. Brian, tell us a little bit about your uh, illustrious career. Hi, I'm Brian Koppelman. I'm a writer, producer, and director. Along with David Levine and Andrew Ross Sorkin, I created the show Billions, which is on Showtime. David Levine and I run that show uh, and produce it on a week-to-week basis. Now, some of the movies that Dave and I have made are Rounders, Ocean's 13, Solitary Man, Knockaround Guys, Runaway Jury. I'm also a podcaster. My podcast, The Moment is a slate panoply oh, that's how you pronounce podcast. It? I thought it was the mom ent. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm always mispronouncing words. Do you ever do? Do you ever see a common word? Like for a long time, I thought that misled, which I'm a relatively educated person. I, I always thought it was mizzled somehow. I thought, what's mizzled? Yeah, it happens. He, he mizzled. He mizzled them all. How do you mizzle someone? Sorry. So mom, it's not moment. It's moment. Yesterday, I had an embarrassing one of those. Yesterday, um, Brian Garner, the great word guy, posted a word of the day, and I proudly said, ah, oh, I just found my favorite new word. And someone said, what? And I said, uh, Gasconade. And then the person next to me was like, it's it's Gasconade. Oh. That's kind of... Which is like, a, you know, um, some, a braggadocio. I like your pronunciation better. Me Yours too. It sounds it felt, French. It felt better for Gasconade. what it means. Gasconade. Facade. Bravado. I felt like a moron. Or <laughs> You mean a maroon. A maroon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we get to the bottom of macaroon versus macaron? I mean, explain I think it to just, me. I think the it's two items, but but then also it changed. Okay, explain this. How did all? How did our understanding of what that word meant change? Well, completely? also there's the French macaron versus the macaroon, which we open from a cardboard box with coconut for. That's for what I'm asking. Right how did we decide that doesn't exist anymore? They do only in Manischewitz land at only certain times of year, but they are delicious. And you know, just a hint for anybody who wants to buy those. Manjavits macaroons, or Strite, I believe, also makes them. Even though they only come out at a certain time of year, you can eat them all year long because they never go bad. They they will last about 12 years. I think it's the, the palm oil and the uh, sprinkling of some nuclear uh, Good. residue. Yeah. But the thing I am most proud of is I am the guest who's appeared the most on <laughs> James Altucher's podcast. It's true. I have he has that of. honor. That's an honor. That's a big honor. We've talked because you've done so many different projects. We've we've talked about all of them. I bet Obama's so pissed at you because <laughs> you know that he's a podcast whore now. He'll you know Obama's been begging, but you yeah. know yeah. he, has he hasn't to have something done to say. Axelrod's podcast yet, though. That's what I want. Uh, I can't wait for him to be on Axelrod's now, podcast. Now, what is your and what is your your you were a blank before you were in show business? Have you always been in show business? Were you a journalist? Were you a different kind of writer? When I was in college. Um, I was working in the music business, and that's what I did for the first, like, nine years out of college. What'd you do? When I, was, I discovered Tracy Chapman, the singer-songwriter I was in college. I made her, produced her demos, wow. and got her her first record deal, then became an A&R person. Uh, and, and so that's artist and repertoire, and the way the record business used to work, when there was a record business. But I realized that when, when my son was born, our first child, I realized that I wasn't happy doing the thing that I was doing. 
and that I wouldn't be unless uh, the kind of parent I wanted to be. I wouldn't be the kind of parent who would say to his kids, pick something that you're passionate about and then work rigorously to achieve that goal if I wasn't. So I, um, I decided to start writing every day. And writing in what form? Were you writing for showbiz, movie or TVs originally? Or were you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Today, I mean, the first screenplay, it's one of those lucky stories. Rounders was the first screenplay That's pretty good. that uh, we wrote. Yeah. So Way it, to it, set the bar low. Yeah. For <laughs> yourself <laughs> and everybody else. It ended up being uh, lucky that it, it worked out. Anyway... James, you want to know about how a writer's room works on TV, which I think is a great question. That exactly. Asked. I'm always curious. Because you think about it, like, when someone writes a novel, they don't write it in a writer's room, where they don't write... They, novels and so many other forms of writing are done with people by themselves. Except TV, universally, is not done by oneself. Is that true? That's, the, that's what we think. Is that really true? Well, our show, we certainly have... On Billions, we have a, a writer's room, and it probably functions uh, at least... Similarly to how you imagine that it functions, and James, you got to visit a couple times, so sure. you probably have some idea. You saw the board. I mean, you saw on the walls of the room the index cards, the sort of both analog and digital ways we represent but, but our ideas. But that's how I picture a writer's room to look like, and maybe this is just the classic. But but now you know there are so many different ways in any creative industry. There's probably a way that it usually happens, but then there are as many variations as you can think of. So Nick Pizzolatto. The first season of True Detective, he wrote every word of that. There was no writer's room. Mm. That guy just sat down and wrote eight episodes of television, and then that's Sorkin what we all West Wing? Is that the case there as well? Well, they, no? that, um, Aaron Sorkin, I have friends who've worked on his shows. He had writer's rooms, but would very often let them churn on solving certain problems and then just show up having written the episode. Okay. Ideally, a writer's room is an extension of the creators of the show and is supposed to be additive, right? It's supposed to bring in points of view that perhaps the, and, and fix blind spots, address blind spots that maybe the creators, showrunners have. So in, in our writer's room, we start at the beginning of the season, and Dave and I view the job in the beginning as us. Every idea that we've had, we're going to talk through. We're going to say none of these ideas are things that we are wed to. And then we're going to sort of talk thematically. We think it's really important to start by understanding where each character sits at the beginning of the season thematically and where you want them to end. Mm -hmm. um, sort of like, what is the central thing that they're grappling with internally and externally over the course of a, a season? So I always wonder, so your deal, you can tell us or not tell us, but I'm curious, like, what the deal is for the show. Are you guaranteed X episodes? Are you guaranteed X seasons? How does it... They pay me I, a squillion dollars. <laughs> That's what we start with. Right, okay. I just want to give it to you straight. <laughs> it's a squillion that's, off the We top. also knew that was... We also that's suspected like with that was That's true. like with podcasts. Yeah, yeah. We that's, get usually about three quarters of a squillion, but, you right, know, it's Yeah, podcast. so it's something yeah, like that. Yeah, right. Um... So, no, you make... But, I mean, when you're making your big arc decisions, so you invent this show, right? And then you figure these are the main characters and they're interrelated in certain ways. But then I'm always curious how far you want to throw the arc into the future because you don't know at the beginning how long you're going to get to play. Well, you, our decision on this was... So, we made a pilot. We wrote a pilot on spec. We did a few things differently. I mean, James knows some of this, but we... We wrote a, a script on spec. So David Levine, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and I wrote a pilot on spec. We had an idea. Uh, it turned out Dave and I had an idea that was similar to an idea of Andrew's. Someone connected us. And Andrew, we should say, is the Times, New York Times columnist who also wrote the book Too Big to Fail, which was HBO'd, correct? Right, exactly. Um, and through that, I think he met an agent in the movie business and TV business who, who heard an idea of ours. And said, you know, Andrew has something similar. And we got together, and we thought we saw this world similarly, and that... 
we had certain complementary resources at, at our disposal. Dave and I really understood how to tell this kind of story. Andrew had a great point of view on the world. And we wrote this pilot, and we decided to write the pilot on spec as opposed to pitching the idea so that we could influence this very thing you're talking about. So that if somebody said, uh, instead of somebody saying, I'm going to buy this to develop it, or I'm gonna, we're going to have you guys make a lot of changes to it, by having the screenplay written, which was us taking a big risk at the top because there was no guaranteed money, we wrote it, and then we were able to have some leverage when somebody wanted it right. to say, okay, but if you take this, we have to at least make the pilot. Right. And then you know you're getting them leaning forward, right? If they're making the pilot, they're spending millions and millions of dollars to make uh, it the pilot. It looks like an expensive show to make. They're making these deals with, with actors. And then after the pilot, in the, once they, they say they're going to, they're thinking about when you have the first meeting after, after they've read your script and they're interested in making it, they ask you some questions. So you've begun to think down the road because in that first meeting, you have to say, well, here's what's going to happen at the end of season one, two, and three. Everybody knows. Basically, I think they just want to know that you can think on your feet about this stuff and it, the only you haven't just represented every single idea you have in the you know 70 pages that they have or 63 pages, I think that was. Then once they greenlight the season, the great thing about premium cable is you're going to have the whole season. They're not canceling the show. That after. just never happens with they a Showtime They don't do it HBO. on Showtime, right. HBO. They don't cancel them. Once they push the button to make the season, you're making the season. We've been incredibly lucky in that after our second episode, they picked us up for a second season already. You're kidding. So I, I know, know that. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I already know that we're, we have 24. At so least. season at the one, least, so we have 24. They're both 12. They're both 12, I assume, then, right? Okay. But, but wait, I want to back off to your writer's room right now. What's happening You've got themes, scenes, ideas. So you break out these themes, right? And then you start outlining. Every writer's room runs differently, but what we did was then start outlining in broad strokes what the season would be. Narrative. Anyone have an idea? Narratively. Also, as that's happening, we're all conducting research, which may mean a billionaire comes in Gives and a lecture. allows us to talk to him for four hours. So or, who have you had? I can't say. What or, color hair does he have? Or oh, so we had um seven or eight. Did you have Stevie Cohen? <laughs> no, I will answer that question. Um, seven or eight of the most famous hedge fund managers came through and spent time with us, and we also talked about this publicly. We, um, and he has too. We've gotten to spend time with Preet Bharara, the mm. United States Attorney for Southern District. So we met with experts, and we did a ton of reading. And you do those things so that you can then figure out where could this possibly live. Uh, as you start to get ideas. You put them up somewhere. You represent them somehow. So someone's sitting in the room taking notes at all times. There's a writer's room assistant. Ours is named Jessica Caldwell, who's fantastic, a really good young writer and producer. And her job is to make sure that anything anyone says in that room gets taken down. And then afterwards, she puts in an order that we can all digest it. So she then orders it, runs it by someone else in the room, and then we all have it that night. Question of the day will return in a minute. Thanks. Every day is an important day to take control of your financial future. There's a saying, there are three skills, making money, keeping money, growing money. And keeping it and growing it, people take for granted. But that's where a service like Betterment comes in. Betterment, America's largest automated investing service, the company managing billions of dollars for people just like you, would like to help you do that. Betterment costs less than traditional financial services and uses smarter technology that automates your investing. 
This helps you make better financial decisions, and since your Betterment account invests with your personal goals in mind, you'll have added peace of mind, which is so very important when it comes to money, which is the cause of so much stress in life. It's easy to start investing with them right away by linking your bank account or rolling over your 401k or IRA. Remember, it's never too late to save for retirement, the trip around the world you always wanted to take, or any of your other long-term personal goals. And Betterment has changed the industry by making investing easier and at a lower cost. Get up to six months of automated investing free and more information when you go to betterment.com question. That's betterment.com question. Betterment, investing made better. What's in it for the people who come in to present to you? People want their world to be represented accurately. They want to, and they want to know, oh, yeah, I was a part of that thing. I think is largely what it is. I found that out. I was worried in the very first movie, Rounders, we spent years in the poker clubs and interviewing, and you know, you wonder whether people will feel burned afterwards, but they only feel burned if you leave them out, mm. if they can't recognize themselves. I've seen now uncomplimentary things and the things in billions that if someone were depicting me doing certain of these behaviors, I would maybe have a problem with it. But a bunch of like women have come up to my wife and said like, I know that's me or my mm. husband in that thing. And it's like, no, it's, 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 I swear it's not. But, I also think we've done this long enough that people know we're not looking to hit anybody. Mm-hmm. I want to understand also, what goes through. Also, that's the point of the show, too, is that you're presenting in an even way a very complicated issue. You're I making wanna, it what seems like what most people think is a simple issue. You're making it very complicated correctly. Yeah. I want to know what goes on in the mind of a hedge fund manager when he or she's thinking about making an activist play. Okay, how do you decide when you're going to speak publicly? Why? Why does it matter to you to speak publicly? Are you worried that if you torpedo a stock, it's going to have ramifications for you? How about if you serve on a charity board with someone whose company you're shorting? What happens when you show up? Like, I can imagine all that stuff, but it's so much better if I've gotten somebody to give me their version of it, which then, as you know, then leaves you with something to ask the next person. Right. And so much the same way you'll research a book or a story or project, I'm engaged in that same kind of forensic research, and the whole writer's room is, and then it's our job to make it into a fictional narrative. So for people who don't know anything about it yet, the main character, uh, what's his first name? Axelrod. Axel. There are two Bobby main characters. Axelrod. Yeah, sorry. Bobby sorry. Axelrod. Bobby Chuck Axelrod. Rhodes. Yeah. yeah. So when I watch it, I think there's a good bit of Stevie Cohen in it. I assume that's the case. They're all, each character is a composite. I'm not, they're not based on I'm, any I, I'm individual. not asking for real. I guess I'm asking for people who kind of know a little bit about, they read the news and they, no, they I see would what say kind of people are in are, trouble. There are aspects, but there's also other aspects that are like. Well, there's a Cantor Fitzgerald feeling. Yeah, again, okay, so it's interesting, right? Because that's the shorthand that right. people would say Cantor right. Fitzgerald. And this is something you wouldn't know if you didn't research it. No fewer than five people in that business sat across a table from me and told me the story of their company and what happened on 9-11. And if you'll notice, Bobby Axrod said he never talks about it publicly. Ludnick talked about it nonstop publicly. And in fact, it's just so reductive. Not that you're being reductive. Oh, I am. I've had people immediately say that, and I just think that there's, you know, I'd prefer people watch with a sense of curiosity and wonder than them bringing a forensic sensibility to it. No, it's not Howard Ludnick in any way. There's actually a guy that it's much closer to who sat across from me and cried at dinner Mm. and told us how his mission in life became to support the families of the people who died and how that gave this person this huge sense of mission. But then what you do in the writer's room is you say, okay, well, if you have a bunch of people telling you this story and they're able to tell it convincingly and cry 15 years later, is there a component of self-mythologizing as well? What does it mean if something that meant that much to you 
you start using it to win at dinner. Mm. And then what does it mean about me if I have such a jaundiced eye that I think the person's trying to win at dinner? And so then what does that mean about the reporters in the show who are then dealing with the person telling the story at dinner? And so that's the way you got to peel this onion. You have to approach it with so much curiosity and wonder and not try to glom answers on it. Say in the beginning of a writer's room, one of the most important things is your instinct is to solve. So your instinct is to go like, let's put it up. Okay, that's what episode one's going to be. But what you have to can try to keep doing is like, can we make this better? Is this the most true it can be? Is this the most interesting it can be? And so you're constantly challenging each other. Seth Godin said, you have to view it and tell everybody that their job in the writer's room, everyone else's job is to be an idea factory. They're the idea makers and you're idea destroyers. <laughs> And he said, because then they're not going to be judged whether the ideas win or not. Their job is to generate the ideas. Your job is to knock all the ones That's down. That's really interesting. So that sets it up in a way where they're really encouraged or incentivized to just produce as much as they can. Yeah. This would go for any firm with any kind of employees. How do you keep the ones who aren't getting as many ideas accepted? How do you keep them jazzed? I, I do read a lot of these kind of books like that James writes and I mean, we tried to hire slowly by, like, reading so many teleplays that these people had written and then meeting them. And yes, some people won't return for season two, and some will return for season two. Keeping them encouraged, one of the ways is that we're really open in the room if our idea is no good. Like, if I have an idea that I'm really passionate about, but then the next day I realize that idea doesn't work, I'll be the first person to just say, that was dumb, I was wrong about that, let's change it. So you're trying to, you know, not encourage people to hold on tightly to their own ideas, but to view all the mm-hmm. ideas that go up and I'll tell you another way. The way deal here, the way that these writer deals work often is let's say, James, you're hired to come in the writer's room. There's a promise that you get to write one episode at least. And then you get a fee for writing that episode on top of the episodic fee you get as a writer in the room. As the showrunner, I can rewrite your script whenever I want. I'm supposed to. I'm in fact the job is to guarantee the job, the promise I'm Dave and I are making to the network is that we're gonna produce episodes that all feel and sound like they came from the same voice. Many showrunners, if they feel like they've done a lot of work on your script, would put their name on it too. So it would be by James Altucher and me. We made a decision at the beginning that we would never, we wouldn't do it. So that we'll still do the job and rewrite the script. But you're not going to put your name on it? No, which makes people know that the only reason I'm getting in the kitchen is to make the thing better. Right. I don't want the credit. I don't want a share of that money. I just want the show to feel like the show. What led you and Dave, your colleague there, to go that far? What was we, the... When we got, our show got um, greenlit, we went and reached out and tried to figure out best practices and spoke mm-hmm. to a bunch of people. And we're convinced. Um, uh, we asked Robert King, who's along with his wife, Michelle runs The Good Wife. Uh, we had dinner and we talked it through, and he talked about why that made sense. And it immediately made sense to us, too. I mean, you want to empower people, especially people who are working in a creative endeavor alongside you. Dave and I are only as good as these people's ideas. So how can we best incentivize them to have a sense of ownership? If you're a very, very lazy person, then maybe, and you know, oh, I can just phone it in and Brian and Dave will rewrite it um, and I'll still have my name on it. But that's such a short side. That, it very unlikely that person gets in the room, right? Because that's such a short-sighted sort of way of looking at this. Mm-hmm. Who gets into this? You know, it, who gets into writing out of like uh, that kind of laziness doesn't make sense. Okay, Brian Koppelman, how can James Altucher and I incentivize you to stay here and record another episode of Question of the Day? Squillion dollars. Don't forget to subscribe to Question of the Day on iTunes. While you're there, 
take a second to rate the show or write a review. And be sure to catch the next question of the day, which will go something like this. Do you feel guilty? Guilty. If you feel that you ought to give an Uber driver fewer than four stars. Fewer than four? Even four? That's what I'm saying. Oh. No, I've never given anything fewer than five. This yeah, is what I'm... Either. So, okay. Yeah, but yeah. in a service, this is but my question. Right, you need the in people. A service, you need in the a people. service-driven business like that. Absolutely. Where others are actually relying upon you to keep the playing field honest... Is it selfish to make yourself feel good by giving a five-star rating every time? 